0: Good morning, church. Good morning. We're glad you're here with us this morning to worship our God together, and, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy. We're just reading through, preaching through the books of First and 2 Timothy uh, here at the beginning of 2021, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy 2 today. So if you have your Bibles uh, either on your phone, just scroll down toward the end. If you're open in a paperback, uh, go to Revelation, then go a, th- a few books to the left, and you'll find First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, today's message is, is called, I'll Say a Little Prayer for You. Forever and ever, you'll stay in my heart, and I will always love you. Forever and ever. Uh, let's pl- we're gonna play another game this morning. Uh, this this one's called um, What's the Right Response? All right. So need your help with me. On Wednesday, uh, Joe Biden was. Um, Sworn in as the 46th president of the United States of America. And not everybody had the same response, all right? We have three contestants here who are playing What's the Right Response? Uh, The first one is Rupert the Republican. Now, Rupert uh, was angry uh, this this last week. He was despairing. And he said, all is hopeless. We must have a Republican in the White House or we will have no hope. All right, get those emails ready. Here we go. Uh, He gets pretty spicy on Facebook, Starts yelling at people. Uh, he starts saying things like, nope, he ain't my president, right? I hate him. I'm out, right? So we got, we got Rupert. He's not happy. Then we got Democrat Debbie. Demi. Democrat Demi. She's doing cartwheels. Demi says, we are, are saved. It's all good because we have a Democrat in the White House. She is elated. And then we've got apathetic Arthur. And Arthur's like, I don't care, right? Arthur didn't even know there was an inauguration this week. He was just doing his Sudoku, minding his own business, right? He says, I don't even know. I'm just following Jesus. I don't concern myself with politics. I just got to figure out which square this nine goes in, right? That's all that he cares about. And and now, some of us this week, uh, we were elated. Some of us were scared or angry or disappointed. Uh, Some of us didn't really care at all. And the question is, what's the right response? Well, I like to propose an alternate that none of the above, right, uh, would be correct. Uh, but in today's passage, we're going to hear from Paul through the inspired word of God as to what the right response would be in light of where we're at as a people and as the church of God. So uh, we're going to look at prayer today. And first of all, we're going to look at the priority of prayer. To first blank, the priority of prayer. Uh, here in the, we're going to look at the first seven verses of First Timothy chapter two. Will be in the ESV up on the screen, but invite you to follow along uh, in your own Bibles. And, and the first thing remember he said Paul's writing to Timothy and the first thing he says here at the beginning of chapter two is first of all now Timothy or Paul we we are already one chapter in you've already said 450 words and now you say first of all right like have you ever been to a sermon where the pastor is 25 minutes in and goes okay point number one you're like, we are not going to beat anybody to Senor Pancho's this morning, are we going to? Oh no, okay, horror. Uh, but what did, he, what did he say was the purpose of this letter? Our first week, we saw at the end of chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, he wants to, to, to instruct the church at Ephesus in how they ought to behave as members of God's household. And so the first thing he said in chapter 1 was, stop those false teachers from leading people away from true living. Because if we don't believe rightly, we won't live rightly. And now here, he says, that was kind of an introduction, but he says, here's the first thing that I want you to instruct the church to do. And I don't think this just happens to be the first thing on the list. Like you just go into the grocery store and you just wrote carrots down first. Right? Who writes carrots down first? It's not just order of, it's not just the order, it's actually importance, I believe. He's saying the first thing, the most important thing. And what he says next is, I urge, I urge you. Now, now we don't urge people into doing something that they're already doing, right? I don't urge you guys to breathe air. Nobody has to urge me to eat more Sour Patch Kids. I've got that on lockdown, right? I don't have to urge us to spend more, times on our, uh, more time on our phones. We, we urge people to do things they're either not doing or that they need to continue to do when they feel like giving up. And so here we see Paul urging, he says, I urge, and what is it that he urges Timothy to see this church doing a prim- of primary importance? Well, look at what he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. thanksgivings be made for all people. He urges them to pray. And notice what he says, the first thing, if you're going to be the kind of church that God would have you to be, his household, the first thing you do is not worry about your social media presence, right? Hashtag, I think you'd like my Ephesian church, right? That's not the point. He says the first thing is not to develop a a really good strategy, have a vision retreat and bring everybody out, or or the first thing is to make sure your young adult ministry is exploding or your, your small groups or whatever it is. He says the first thing is that you are a people marked by prayer. Now, Notice here, all those things are good things, but what he says is, first of all, get on your knees and pray. We see here, the place of prayer is front and center in Paul's mind for the household of God, front and center. One of my teachers at Bible school, one of the most humble men that I've ever known, taught the Bible, he has taught the Bible for over 50 years and running. And he said that he believed that the the most neglected aspect of the Christian life is not Bible study, it's not evangelism, he believed that it to be Prayer. And, and, and he said that we don't, I think we often don't understand prayer. We don't understand what it does, how it works, um, and, and, and therefore we fail to believe in the thing that we don't understand and we don't do it. And in, in the West, you know, we, we, we have a very scientific mind. We, we, we understand things that we can see and touch and do. So we, we get Bible studies, we get church services, we get, we get programs, we get giving money to someone in need. But prayer, spiritual warfare, the, the power of God in our lives, that, that we don't understand as much and don't believe in. And so, so instead, we try to do things in our own power instead of relying on the power of our God. And Paul here, he lists two kinds of prayers. The first one, he uses these three words, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, which more or less mean the same thing. It's this idea of, of a request. It's a request. It's asking God to do things that we cannot do ourselves. So, so when Jill comes to me in the kitchen and says, sweetheart, love of my life, so she likes to call me. She says, I can't open this pickle jar. Would you do it for me? She, she, is, she is coming to me with supplications and, and prayers and intercessions. That she's supplicating that I, her muscly husband, well, I didn't like that laugh. If i want me to roll up my sleeves, I will to intercede between her and the pickle jar, right? Her supplications that would open, make a way for her to enjoy her dill pickle. And so she asks me to do something that she doesn't have the power to do. And this is what we're doing. We're asking God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is a lot of things. And so the first thing here is requests. But the second kind of prayer, he says, is thanksgivings. Thanksgivings. Um, I love in Philippians 4, the way the New Living says this, it looks at these two aspects of requests and thanksgivings. Paul says, don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell god what you need which is the request and thank him for all he has done and i think we need to highlight this it's one thing to ask for the father to act it's another thing to thank him for when he has acted and and, and oftentimes we neglect this aspect we want to celebrate and glorify our god when he's come through and answer to prayer as, I mean, last we want to do this, and I think in, in, as a church we need to do this. Last week when we had Andy up here sharing her testimony about what God had taught her, what, thanking him for what he had done through the foundations class as she's understanding the Bible more clearly, we praise God for that. When we see our church be generous and give to the needs of our community, we want to come back and celebrate, not just ask for, for the money or for the Thanksgiving boxes, but then to celebrate what God has done for his glory. We request and we give thanksgivings the place of prayer is front and center but what is it to be, what is the object of our prayer what is the object of our prayer what is it or maybe i should say who is it whom who who i don't know the object of prayer three things first of all he says for all people he says pray for all people now paul that's a pretty exhaustive list right every human on the planet now i don't i don't know if that literally means that we pray for all 7 billion people like right? all right lord <clears throat> I pray for Aaron, I think, A-A-R-E-S, I think it's the start, and we just go through, the I don't think that's, ain't nobody got time for that, right? I don't think he's saying that we name every person, but nor do I think he just simply means to say, dear God, please save and bless every human on the planet, amen. So, so what is it that, he, that he's saying here? I and mean, we, we, see, we see Jesus praying all night long, right? Jesus got specific. Jesus named names. So what is Paul calling us to do here? What does he mean by all people? Well, often our prayers are sort of like a ripple in a pond. Uh, we start in the center, which for us is ourselves, and we're pretty good about praying for our own needs, our own wants, our own problems. It's where we tend to spend the majority of our thinking and time and concern, and, and that same is with prayer. And then, and then maybe our prayers ripple out to our family and friends, coworkers, uh, people in our small group, th- those that we know and love. Now, that's good, right? Yes, and amen. And we need to pray more even for ourselves and for those we love. But I think Paul here, when he says all people, I think what he's communicating to Timothy is, Timothy, do not let the church at Ephesus limit the kind of people, the groups of people that they're praying for. That, that we want to we expand our, our, those, the, the list of, of people that we're praying for. That Pray for those who are close to you, but also those who are not close to you. That we're praying for those in the the deep recesses of the jungles of Papua New Guinea that they would hear the gospel and be saved. We're we're praying for those in our community, both the rich and the poor. We're praying for the Republican and the Democrat, the black and the white, the Christian and the the Muslim, the mask wearer and the non-mask wearer, friend and enemy. Basically, there is no category of people we could say, yeah, don't pray for them. That we don't pray for them. This is not just praying for people that we like. In fact, Jesus urges his disciples to do something that they weren't doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He says it this way, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Not just those you don't like, those who are actively disliking and harming you. In fact, sometimes those we don't like or they don't like us are the ones that we indeed need to be praying for the most. Because prayer does something for them, right? God answers prayers. He can change their lives, but it also does something in us. When we're praying for somebody, it changes our attitude. It's a lot harder to be a hater towards somebody when we're praying for them. And this helps change the way we see them to align with the way that God sees them. I mean, what a timely word in our current climate of division and side-choosing and, side and venom-spewing. So shouldn't we be known as a church that loves everyone, <laughs> that prays for all people? And who is it that immediately comes to mind for you that you don't want to pray for? Don't say that out loud. That's the person you should be praying for. So he says, all people, all people. The second thing he says here is for kings. Now for kings, I don't know. This might be a hard application point. I don't know how many kings, you know, today, uh, there, I thought of a few that I know. The Lion King, uh, we could pray for him. Uh, Larry King, which actually he just passed away uh, just this last week. B.B. Uh, King, he's having a good time. And then the King Kong, right? So, I, I mean, I, we could pray for them. Um, we know that there's only a handful of nations that are still truly monarchs today that that have kings. But this next, this next line, this last group of people that we pray for, I think broadens the borders of, of what this means. He says, pray for all and all who are in high positions. What I've highlighted there was actually just one Greek word. And it brings two... Two ideas together to hold over. So this is an idea of a superior position that you're holding. This position of authority over somebody else. And so what he's saying here is you pray for those in authority. So for us, that's that's a president. That, that's that's our governor. That's that's a mayor. That, that's also our boss. That's our parent, right? A principal, judges. Pray for your babysitter. Anybody who holds a position of authority. And so, why would Paul tell us to pray for all people? Why would he say for us to pray uh, for those in positions of authority? Well, we see this in the next part the purpose of prayer. So, we saw the priority of prayer, it's front and center. But what's the purpose of prayer? Now, remember, to understand a passage, we said we have to understand what? The context. The context why is Paul writing Timothy? What is his purpose? Well, we saw in chapter one, um, there were these false teachers in Ephesus. And we don't know exactly uh, what it was that they were teaching. There's some context clues. They're making up these myths from from their genealogies. It said they were misusing the law and its application points. And and that we know that what was happening is they were creating division. It was creating division. They were looking at these family trees in the the Old Testament and and saying, oh, you know what, if you're from the line of Jeconiah, man, you are a varsity Christian, right? You've got it going on. If you're from Akeem, JV, you might even be C-team, right? And then they're saying, you must keep the law. It's not just, I mean, we're, we're, we're excluding Gentiles. You've got to live like a Jew. So there's a the division of Jew and Gentile in this family line and, and that family line. And it's creating these in-crowds and out-crowds. And Paul is telling Timothy here what to do in response to that. And the first thing he said in chapter 1, he said, remove the ringleaders. To get rid of those false teachers in the church. And last week, Pastor Ross talked about those two guys at the end of chapter 1 that are to be handed over to Satan. I leave the pulpit for one week and Ross is handing people over to Satan. Hard to find good help around here. No, it, meant it means get them out of the church, right? To, to, to the yeast infects the lump of dough to remove those false teachers from the community of, of faith. But now this week, he says, you all need to change the way that you see people. So, so remove the, the, the ringleaders, but then change the way you see people and, and pray for them. There's a war going on today. There's a war going on today and dividing lines need to be drawn. But listen, what is of utmost is importance is where we draw the line. See, the line is not between the church and the world. It's not that the good guys are in here and the bad guys are out there and we just hunker down in the church and kind of wrap ourselves in our flannel graph protection and see them as the enemy. No, 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 the world, those are the, the world that is full of the people that we're called to go love and preach the gospel to. Those are the very people from whom Jesus died. It's not us versus them. And the, certainly the lines aren't drawn within the church either, right? It's not the people who agree with me versus those who don't. And we as churches over history have divided over the most ridiculous things, the color of the carpet, how loud the drummer was, right? Ryder, good job there, brother. We divide over very peripheral doctrines. Everybody who dunks three times forward, follow me. Backward dunkers, get out of here. And in the meantime, we're a terrible witness to the world. The line is not Republican versus Democrat. The line is not not Baptist versus Lutheran. It's not black skin versus white skin. It's not your favorite translation. Unless you read the message remixed, then yes, hand them over to Satan. That's, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 6, he, he talks about the dividing lines, and it's not between us and other humans. See, what happens is when when we make these lines, we'll say, yeah, I'll pray for these people, I'm for these people, but I'm against those people. And that goes against everything that the Bible teaches. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against other human beings. He says, but it's against the rulers and the powers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This battle is against Satan and evil. In fact, the battle is waging Uh, raging inside of our own hearts. Galatians 5 says that there's this battle between the desires of the sinful flesh and the desires of the spirit. That's where the the battle lies. It's not one human or group of humans versus another human or group of humans. It's good versus evil. It's truth versus lies. The enemy is sin and Satan and death. Amen. And so we understand this. The, The battle lines, they rage within our own hearts. And the evil and sin in our own hearts first and foremost. And and then in the hearts of others, we need to quit quit seeing people as the enemy and start seeing them as sinners in bondage like we were that need to be freed from their sin. They need a Savior. And we fight and scream what a terrible witness we are. And honestly, right now, one of my concerns is that oftentimes we don't look anything, we don't look any different than those who aren't following Jesus. we fight and and backbite and carry on just like the world. That's not what we're called to. We'll not be salt and light. So the first purpose of prayer that I see here is to help not hinder our witness to the gospel. To help not hinder our witness to the gospel. And And I get this from his argument. He says, I urge that these prayers and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he says in verse two, that... So here's the reason that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, I wrestled with this text this week, and it's, it's a hard one to kind of unpack. And, and at first, it, it, can, it can look like that's what we're praying for, that that's the content of our prayer, that we would pray for those leaders and those people, that, that they would lead peaceful and quiet lives and, and godly. Now, yes, that is a prayer for them. But I think what he's saying here is this is not the content of the prayer, but the result of the prayer. That if we become the kind of people that are praying for all people, not dividing lines, then the life that is going to be marked, our lives will be marked by peace and quiet, and we'll be godly and dignified in every way. Now, what does that, what does that look like? Well, peace and quiet here, this does not mean you're a monk in a monastery, uh, that, that, that you don't literally just don't talk, that you're a mute. It doesn't mean this is like collective nap time. Everybody put their heads down, peace and quiet what he's talking about here, remember we said this is, Paul is seeing the division and the fighting and the exclusivity going on in the church, my group versus your church, and it's wrecking the church's testimony. But, but he says, if you become a people who pray for all people, who love all people, then you become the kind of people who work together to build others up, not tear them down, even when there is disagreement he says here, he uses the phrase godly and dignified. And we said this earlier on in the series. The word godly here, it doesn't just mean goodly. We're not just talking about morals. We said that the word godly, it, 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 of first importance, is this it describes our relationship to God. That there is right reverence and, and respect and a right heart of worship toward the God that we love. And this word dignified, it can also be translated holy or honorable. That our lives are set apart to reflect the character of God, not the ways of sin and evil and death. One of my favorite prayers, called the Serenity Prayer, popular amongst um, recovery groups. He it says it this way God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. One of the most important lessons that we learn in our lives is the difference between what we can control and what we cannot control. And when we understand where the battle is, when the battle is against sin and death, and we start to see that that what needs to happen is the dead need to be raised to life. Anybody here have the power to raise the dead to life? Not me. To change a heart, to save those who are lost, that's not within our power. That's a pickle jar that you and I cannot open and so we become a people that pray and pray for God to do what we cannot do. There's only one who can reverse sin and death, and his name is Jesus. We are not called to passivity. This is not a call to peace and quiet. This doesn't mean that we never engage in conflict. This is the dude that just ended chapter one by telling them to hand people over to Satan, right? We are we're called to confront the, 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 the lies of the enemy with truth in love, but we do it, he says here, humbly, prayerfully dependent on God. And when we do it that way, we become a people who live peaceful and with a reverent dignity before our God. See, when you and I pray, what we're saying is, God, we trust you to do the work in our hearts and in the hearts of those with whom we disagree. And we're asking, we're asking you to do the work and your timing, your way, right, your agenda, your will, not mine. And a people who pray like that, Paul says, are people at peace, a people who honor the name of their God. So we do this to help not hinder the spread of the gospel. The second thing I see here is that we do it to align ourselves with the heart of God's will. We do it to align ourselves with the heart of God's will. Who does he say you should pray for? All people. Why? He says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, verse three. And this is why he says this is so good to him who desires all people People, same phrase, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What he's saying here is the reason we pray for all people is because God loves all people. That he wanted to see all people come to know him and enter into relationship with him. And therefore his heart should be our heart. So when we go, nope, hate her, hate him, love everybody but them, our heart is not in alignment with God's. There is not a person on earth. That God does not love. That's what we know the verse, right? God so loved the world. Not just that crowd or that political party, that skin color. He loves the world and wants us all to become his children. And this is how he proved it, our final point, the person of prayer. The person of prayer. We pray for all people because God's heart is all people would be saved. And how are they saved? Through one person. Uh, we look at two things here. First, the Savior that we worship. The Savior that we worship. So the word worship, we use this word all the time. We're in a worship service right now. And, and what does that mean? Well, the word worship comes with two words stuck together. Worthship. So someone who is worth. Something that has worth. What we value. This is a value word. And therefore, the thing that we value most, be, that is our greatest object of worship, is our functional God. That's the thing that we supremely worship. And so... If that's true, then our Savior is the one that we believe can bring us what we most value, what we most want, uh, what we believe our God is. Now, with that in mind, I want to revisit our, uh, our contestants from earlier. All right. So on Wednesday. We asked the question, why, were, why was Rupert despairing and why was Demi uh, so elated and filled with joy and hope? Well, because each of them value, what they value most is the, a certain ideal of the American life. And that, that to them, they believe that their political party or their political candidate uh, was the savior that could bring that ideal into reality, which is why it brought one of them hope our savior is here. And the other one, despair, our Savior has been taken away. See, if your God is threatened to be taken away, it will lead you to ultimate despair. If the one true God on the throne of heaven, if there was a threat that he would be taken off that throne, it would be right for us to despair if we put all our eggs in that basket, right? So what Paul says here is there is only one object that is worthy of our worship Now, listen, some of you may be like Rupert and and Demi this week, and you found yourself despairing or rejoicing over the proceedings and the transfer of power. Some of you may feel more like apathetic Arthur, where you're like, I don't care, I'm just doing my Sudoku. We are not called to be passive or apathetic that we are called to be peacemakers, that, that, that we are called to actively love our neighbors, that we're called to, to uh, care for the widow and the orphan. And in a democracy of which we are a citizen, we're citizens of heaven first and foremost, but then we are also citizens of this country. In a democracy like ours, we are to use our vote and to use our voice, our peaceful voice. And we're to care about candidates and issues Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with voting for a political party. There's nothing wrong even to to acknowledge your emotions that may have been attached with this week. But there is everything wrong with making that party or candidate your savior. That will only lead to disappointment and despair and death because it is ultimately a form of idolatry. And what Paul is saying here is there is only one object who's worthy of our worship. Only one that, that, and we need to understand that our greatest need is to know our God, that our greatest desire is to be God Himself. And therefore, there is only one Savior who can bring to us what we most need and in our sin lack. That's what he says here in verse 5. There is one God, there is one who is worthy of all of our value, all of our affection, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And What did he do? He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So don't look for your Savior on Capitol Hill. Look for your Savior on that hill far away not in the ballot that you cast, that we would cast all of our cares upon the one who cares for us. And the prayers that we cast, not the votes. Now, the reason that we pray for those in authority in our lives, listen, is not because we trust them. It's not because we trust those, those leaders. It's ultimately because we trust the Lord. One of our cross-references in our reading plan this week took us to Romans 13. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And here's why, he says, not because of how awesome the governing authorities are. Not because they nail it every time and never make a wrong ruling, never do the wrong thing. Why does he say? For, there's a reason word, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. He says, the reason we submit to them is ultimately because we're submitting to the God of heaven. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't think I want to incur that judgment. Now, when we talk about this resisting, of course, there's going to come a point in time if they ever, if we're ever, if the governing authority is telling us to disobey God, we know who our ultimate allegiance is with. That's a pretty rare occasion. And that's why, based on, on this truth, that we can not only pray for these leaders, but we can also thank God for them. Remember, that's what he said. Requests and thanksgivings for all people and for the governing authorities. So we thank our God for them. Now, I know my own heart toward authority, and it's subtle. I'll smile to your face. And I always say, I, will, I have no problem submitting to somebody as long as I agree with them. Right? But as soon as, as I think they're dumb, then I'm going to do what I want. And I see that in my heart. Even in outward compliance, inwardly, I'm not being a nice person. But you might say, Justin, you don't understand. You don't know some of the evil that, that we're seeing with some of these leaders. And what their agenda is. and what We can't pray for them. We can't thank God for them. This is evil. Well, imagine who Paul is saying to pray for in Romans 13 and in Timothy. He is thanking God for the Roman Emperor Nero, who is about, in a couple of years, to kill Paul. He says, I thank my God for him. Within a few years, and we see in this time, Christians are being used as human torches and lion food. He echoes the words of Jesus pray for those who persecute you. Because the reality is, no matter who is in the Oval Office, we know who will always be on the throne. Amen? And so we can trust that God. And that even when sometimes these authorities, they don't don't do what we would have done, that we see some of the evil that can come out. And there's evil that comes, right? Power corrupts, absolutely. But what we trust is that our God is using all things for good and that they cannot thwart his ultimate purposes. And so because we trust him, we can pray for them and thank our God for them. It's the Savior that we worship, and then finally, it's the word we proclaim. It's the word we proclaim. Paul says, not only do I pray for all people, but I actually preach the good news to all people. He says in verse 7, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Remember, he's combating these false teachers. He says, my source comes from God, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And he's preaching. He said, remember, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. They've created these dividing lines between Jew and Gentile. And he says, I preach the truth to all of the ones that God loves. So we ask ourselves, am I not only praying for all people, but am I actively preaching the gospel both in the way that I live and the way that I speak to the people that God puts into my path? We're called to live peacefully and quiet, but we are not called to stay quiet when it comes to the only way to peace. And it seems fitting on a, on a, a, a passage about prayer that we would end the time with prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me. I want to start by asking, I want to ask you some questions here as we enter into prayer. Who specifically is the Lord laying on your heart to pray for? And we have lots of people on our heart, those we care about. But what about that person? We, We have our friends, we have our family, but what about the enemy? What about the one with whom we are cordially challenged? And if there's someone that the Lord is laying on your heart to pray for, that maybe he's he's simultaneously there there is something that you need to be praying for them for but then also something in your own heart and an attitude that needs to change an approach that needs to change that we would love that person before that person not against and maybe for you that is Joe Biden maybe that is the Repub- the democrat party democratic party maybe it's it's a it's a coworker that's really really annoying right now Maybe it's that one of your children that is kind of in that phase, needing some extra grace and love. Father, we come before you, recognizing that you alone are seated on heaven's throne, and we worship you above all. We value you above all. We obey you first. We, We trust you the most, and we ask you for grace when we inevitably do not. And Father, you tell us here to pray for all people. So there's anybody in our hearts uh, that, that, that we are currently not for, and not in prayer, not in action, you would change our hearts. Uh, Father, that we, we pray today for our leaders. We, we pray for President Joe Biden. We pray for Governor Mike Dunleavy. We, we pray for Mayor Charlie Pierce. We th- say, pray for those in authority that first and foremost, they would know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They would come to an understanding of the truth that their God loves them and wants to free them from sin and have a relationship with them. We pray for their good. Father, we pray that the decisions that those leaders would make will create conditions in which the good news of Jesus Christ will bear the most fruit for the salvation of all men and women for your great glory. We're going to sing, great is your faithfulness, God, because that's our hope. It's in the God who will never, ever leave us or forsake us, who will always be true to his promise. And because we believe that you are that God, we trust you and we thank you. For the people that you've put in our lives, even the ones that that we disagree with, that have treated us wrong, because we know that ultimately, while, while it's not easy to parse and understand the problems of suffering and pain in our world, Lord, we know the truth that you are good, that you are love, that you are for us and not against us. So even those things of difficulty, even when Paul was going to be killed by that leader, he knew that you were in ultimate control. And because we trust and ask for the grace to trust you more, We pray that from that would become a heart that willingly lays our own lives down on the altar to be given as a sacrifice of praise, to proclaim the good news, to live it out in in our actions and attitudes, in the words of truth that we speak in love and in our prayers that we would be a people that would pray for all people that you want to be saved. For your glory, through the one mediator, the man, Jesus Christ And because of his faithfulness, we pray, amen.